Well, this morning we are going to be talking about the infinite eternal value of human life. Uh, with that in mind, though, I would like to ask you, if you would, uh, please take a little look at the screen that we have up here. Now, the screen, this has our website information on it, as well as the ministry name. On the website, you will find over 100 free articles. You will find over 400 short, free little videos that you can watch, uh, most of them dealing with little arguments for the young earth position. Uh, but there's also other things included as well. And, of course, we have our, our bookstore. But, but at Creation Worldview Ministries, what we do is we stress a Christian biblical worldview, primarily through creation science. And since we only have this one time this morning to be with you, now tonight we're going to be talking about the flood of Noah. It's a newer version presentation, if you might remember the first time I was here with that. But everything I'm doing this week is either brand new or we have not done it in at least 10 years. So for most of you, it'll be brand new regardless and updates for the rest of you. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about the flood of Noah. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about the absolute truth of a young earth, young creation. Simple, easy to understand science showing that it is all only 6,000 years old. Then on Tuesday night, you're really going to want to be here. Now, I know Tuesday night is when they have the discounts at the restaurant. <laughs> but you really want to be here on Tuesday night. I'm going to show there's absolutely no truth to human evolution whatsoever. I'm going to show you how to debunk the methodology they use to deceive people into thinking that they evolved from apes. And believe me, you want to come for the last 10 minutes. It is worth the price of admission. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You come the last 10 minutes of Tuesday night, you're going to have more fun the last 10 minutes of Tuesday night than you're going to have the rest of the whole week. I guarantee it. And then, of course, on Wednesday night, we have saved our single biggest presentation for you. It's on dinosaurs. It's our single biggest presentation. <laughs> You all need more caffeine. <laughs> but this morning we're going to be talking about the infinite eternal value of human life. So I hope that you did. You are a miracle. Hello? You, you, apparently you didn't hear me the first time. You know, when you tell a Christian they're a miracle, usually you can get a better response than that. Okay? So I said, you are a miracle. But you're much more of a miracle than you realize. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Now, I know that many of you that are involved, say, in the pro-life movement, Psalm 139 is very near and dear to you, as it should be to all of us. But I do wonder sometimes if you will agree with me. We read a verse that we have memorized, that we have used hundreds of times, and you still find something new. Is that correct? Everybody agree? Yeah, well, let's take a look at Psalm 139. We're going to start with verse 13. Notice this, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a scientist. I can weave burlap. Come on, you know what burlap is, right? It's really coarse cloth, right? But uh, I'm a scientist. I can weave burlap. But God says that he wove you in your mother's womb. Is that correct? But let's see if we can elaborate a little bit on that. The next verse, I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. That soul, it's the intellect, the emotion, the will, my mind, my heart, feelings, etc. And then verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. 
Ladies, may I ask you a question? Ladies, would you agree a woman does not actually know the time of her conception? Is that correct? Excuse me? Yes. Come on, you can talk with me. I am a friend of the church. <laughs> and I am from out of town. <laughs> Way out of town. So, ladies, would you agree you do not know the time of conception? Is that correct? Yes. So we are made in secret. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, and it says carefully wrought in the depths of the earth. Uh, in the depths of the earth, in Hebrew, that's a terminology for a woman's womb. After all, earth, clay, womb, in this case, are all the same thing. But notice it says carefully wrought. Now, could I ask you, uh, when you hear the word wrought in English, if I just said the word wrought, what is the next word that you would think of after wrought? Iron. iron. Isn't that what you normally think of, wrought iron? Now, let me tell you, I spent 59 trips going to Russia over 26 years of time. You have never in your life seen more elaborate wrought iron than you will in Russia. The artisans back before the revolution in 17, well, they were magnificent artists. And they did things with the wrought iron you can't even conceive of. But I will tell you, it is still just bent iron. Is that correct? Yeah. Agreed? However, the word wrought, translated here in Hebrew, actually means embroidered. Embroidered. And if you read this, it says that God embroidered you in your mother's womb. Now, I can weave burlap. I cannot do embroidery. Would you agree with me that embroidery is fine hand craftsmanship? Is that correct? Yeah, and if you think about it, have you ever seen the very uh, beautiful uh, colorized models of the DNA molecule, you know, the twisted double helix with the red, white, blue balls for the atoms and so forth? Well, it's very pretty if you see it, but wouldn't you agree it looks a little bit like fine lace, doesn't it? And isn't lace and embroidery kind of mixed together? And so you were made in secret when God embroidered you in your mother's womb. And then it says this, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That term, unformed substance, in the Hebrew, it's actually, well, let me say this first. Uh, I don't know about you, I hate the word fetus. Hello? I do, I hate the word fetus. I think it demeans human life, don't you? But, but this term in Hebrew, unformed substance, is actually the Hebrew word for embryo. Embryo. Now, a human baby is a baby. Hello? You know, other churches, I could get a little more expression here. I said a baby is a baby, right? But medically, scientifically speaking, it is an embryo. That's a perfectly correct statement. And so if you think about it, Every word in Hebrew is absolutely correct. Is that right? Yes. And I will share a little thought with you. Every language has its good points, its bad points. Uh, English is a very good technical language. It's very precise and it's very efficient. But it's not that great a literary language, frankly. But Russian is a tremendously good literary language, but they will never catch up because their language prevents it. You see, their language is not good technically. And so, um, well, they'll never really catch up. But I find it interesting. In this one section of the Russian Bible, it is translated 
perfectly. But with that in mind, we're talking about the value of a human life. And then I want you to think about what are the odds of something happening? Let me ask you, would you agree if the odds of something happening were one out of one, it's going to happen? Is that correct? Yes. Ah, I mean, one out of one is a sure thing, right? Yeah, that's the kind of bets that I place. <laughs> no, I don't condone gambling whatsoever, but, but please tell me something and just be honest in your own humanity for a moment. If I were to take a coin out of my pocket, flip it up in the air and catch it, um, well, we say the chances are 50-50, heads or tails, correct? Yeah. It's actually not true. Uh, it's not quite 50-50, but it's close enough for government work. <laughs> and, uh, but it, just in your own humanity for a moment, would you agree that if the chance of something happened were one out of two, 50-50, then you might possibly consider it, is that correct? I mean, just being honest, is that right? You, you might, right? But if the odds of something happening were one out of 10,000, well, 999, you're gonna lose, right? Tell me, at that point, don't you start backing up? <laughs> Come on, if the chance of winning is only one out of 10,000, that 9,999 times out of 10,000, you're going to lose, I don't know about you, I'm backing up, right? But, uh, well, think with me for just a moment. I just returned from a mission trip to Bolivia and Brazil. It was my 18th trip to Brazil, my first to Bolivia. But um, what are the odds of winning the Brazilian National Lottery? Well, the chances of winning the Brazilian National Lottery is one out of 50,060,000 per week. Now, if you don't know this, uh, although I did used to live in this area, I graduated high school in the District of Columbia, but I currently live in Florida. Now, down in Florida, we have a tax on stupidity. <laughs> I'm serious. In Florida, we have a tax on stupidity. You see, we call it the Florida Lottery. <laughs> now, what are the chances of winning the Florida Lottery? Well, it's one chance out of 175 million chances per week, every week, 52 weeks a year. That's what we call it a tax on stupidity. But I'd like you to think about something with me for just a moment. I'm going to quote a truly great evolutionary believing astronomer. Now, he did believe in evolution initially. He stopped believing in evolution later in his life. But um, this is a statement attributed to Sir Fred Hoyle. Now, Sir Fred Hoyle, astronomers are used to working in really big numbers. Would you agree? Come on, you know, billions and billions of galaxies and trillions of stars and the distances and so forth, right? So they're used to working in really big numbers. And he took a look with his mathematical skill at the possibility of evolution on Earth being true even once. And he said this, the chance of evolution on Earth being true even once was the same as a living organism emerged by chance from a prebiotic soup, about as likely that a tornado swooping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. Now, I fly on 747s on occasion doing mission work. They're made out of a million pieces parts. What is the possibility that evolution on Earth could be true even once? The same as a tornado going through a junkyard, assembling a functioning 747 ready to fly. Now, that is assuming that the one million parts for the Boeing 747 were already in the junkyard. Is that correct? So you've got to assume the parts are already there and that a tornado could then assemble them. Is that correct? 
Now, I want you to wow your friends, your neighbors, your family, your schoolmates, etc., this week. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask if you might take out a small piece of paper. It could be a business card, uh, if somebody has paper that you can even tear in half and give to somebody else. But I think you're really going to enjoy this. First of all, visualize a tornado going through a junkyard and assembling a Boeing 747 ready to fly, right? Now, what's the possibility of that happening? Well, if you take out that piece of paper, pen, pencil, what is the possibility of evolution being true even once? Now, I just want to remind you of something. If you write the number 10 with a little 2 above the upper right-hand corner, well, that's 10 squared, correct? And so 10 squared is 10 times 10, or it equals 100, correct? And this is just a reminder in case you don't remember. But if you take the number 10, put a little 3 above the upper right-hand corner, 10 cubed, 10 times 10 times 10, but it equals 1,000, correct? So the little number above the upper right-hand corner is the number of zeros after the one, right? And I'm just doing this for, for memory's sake, okay? Now, would you please write on that little piece of paper the number 10 with a 23 above the upper right-hand corner? Now, that is the number of known stars in the known universe. That is not all the stars in the universe, it's just the ones we know about. And the Bible tells me that God named each and every one with its own individual name. Is that correct? Now, if he can do that, do you really think he has a problem counting the hairs on your head? Well, of course, some of us give him less to worry about every year, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, but, but that's a one followed by 23 zeros, and that's only the ones we know about. That's not all the stars in the universe. Now, would you please write a little 10 with a number 80 above the upper right-hand corner? That's the number of atoms in the known universe. Not all the atoms in the universe, it's just the ones we know about, correct? Now, please write the number 10. Upper right-hand corner, write the number 82. I want to remind you, every time you add a 1 to the little number in the upper right-hand corner, it makes it 10 times bigger. So if you add 2, that makes it 100 times bigger, correct? This is called scientific notation. It's an easy way of making big numbers in the small spaces. But 10 to the 82nd power is the number of electrons in the known universe. I'm using electrons. They're the most common subatomic particle. Um, but again, that's only the ones we know about, correct? One more time, if you would write the number 10. This time, write the number 97 above the upper right-hand corner. That's the number of subatomic particles in the known universe. Again, not all, but the ones we know about, correct? Now, with that in mind, what is the chance that a tornado could go through a junkyard and create a Boeing 747 ready to fly, or that the proteins in a single amoeba could arise by chance? Now, an amoeba is a single-celled creature, fully functional, has as much complexity in one cell as you do in your entire body. But what's the chance that, uh, well, a tornado could construct a Boeing 747 or that the proteins of a single, single-celled organism could arise by chance? Would you please write the number 10 one last time? And above the upper right-hand corner, please write the number 40,000. If you would prefer to do it longhand, we'll wait. You see why this is a really neat way of writing big numbers in a little space. But a one followed by 40,000 zeros. What is the chance of evolution being true even once? Zero. Once something exceeds the chance of 10 to the 50th to the 100th power, it becomes impossible. It will never 
ever happen. But 10 to the 100th power is infinitesimally small compared to a number 10 to the 40,000th power. Are you with me? Was the chance of evolution being true even once? Zero. It didn't happen. It cannot happen. You are a miracle. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. I'm going to give you a second chance. I said, you are a miracle. But you're much more of a miracle than you realize. I am talking about the infinite eternal value of human life. Now, with that in mind, in order to do that, I have to have a human life. So let me see if I can find one. There's got to be one out here someplace. Isn't it interesting how people always volunteer somebody else? They say, oh, pick them, pick them. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Got to have a human life out here someplace. And so, well, you know, the one who volunteers somebody is really the one that ought to volunteer. <laughs> you wouldn't have to say a thing. <laughs> you ought to see the expression on her face. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. <laughs> the, have you, are you familiar with the appearance of the word dread? <laughs> <laughs> That's bad, isn't it? Well, how about a Sunday school student of mine? How about you? You don't have to say a thing, by the way. You don't have to say anything. I'm, I'm absolutely dead serious about that. Would you come here and just join me for a moment? What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you would just come over here. And uh, I think it would be a good idea maybe if we both took one step up, you know. Especially, anyway. Uh, <laughs> now, you don't have to say a word, but what I want you to do is I just want you to admire everybody. Just, just look at them admiringly, okay? Now, ladies and gentlemen, here I have a lovely human life. Hey, hang on a second. I'll be right back, okay? I said, here I have a lovely human life. But I want you to think about how did this lovely human life come into existence? Let's look at the way an evolutionist would do it. Let's look at the way a creationist, a Christian, would look at it, okay? So first of all, let's take a look. How would an evolutionist look at how did this life come into existence, right? Now, again, an evolutionist believes in eternal mass, energy, time. They believe in a god called the god of random chance. And they believe that this lovely human body came about by the simple random chance accumulation of one atom at a time over millions and billions of supposed years for which there's absolutely no proof whatsoever. As a matter of fact, tomorrow night we'll be, de you know, we'll be debunking the whole idea of millions and billions of years, showing you that the Earth and the universe are only 6,000 years old, exactly as the Bible says. But the evolutionist believes that this, well, this lovely human life is just the random chance accumulation of one atom at a time over millions and billions of supposed years for which there is no proof whatsoever, okay? Now, if you believe that, then how does the evolutionist value a human life? Well, it's really quite simple. If it's nothing but the random chance accumulation of one atom at a time over millions and billions of supposed years, then you value it at the atomic level. And what do evolutionists do? They take all the atoms out of her body, put them in little piles of like kind, put a little price tag next to each little pile, and give the fair market value for each little pile. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. Some of you are staring at me like a cow looking at a new gate. 
Well, let me explain. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all the calcium out of her bones and we're going to put them in a little pile. We're going to take all the iron out of her blood and we're going to put all the little iron atoms in a little pile. Do you start to see what we're doing here? Now, um, I told you you didn't have to say a word. I absolutely meant it, okay? I am, I'm a man of my word here. So just shake your head yes or no. Have I ever looked inside your mouth? Come on, a little, little more. I have never looked inside your mouth. Therefore, I do not know how much gold, silver, mercury, or cadmium there might be in there. Well, I assure you, I hope there isn't any. Good. But if you had some gold, silver, mercury, or cadmium, it would make you more valuable. <laughs> so they make a little pile of gold, silver, mercury, cadmium. And then let's think about this for a moment. The human body is two-thirds water, but if you take all the hydrogen, all of the oxygen out of a human body, it's 80% uh, water. Now, please tell me, how much is uh, water selling down at the Walmart? <laughs> what, what was that? $1.25 a gallon. $1.25 a gallon. Well, that's what you get for living in Maryland. Okay. Um, it's only a dollar in Florida. Uh, so let's think about this for a second. So... You're worth about $6 in water. Now, what does the evolutionists do? They take all the atoms over by, make little piles of like atoms, and don't forget the water. And uh, you put a little, little price tag in these to each one, giving the fair market value for them. And they add them all up, and the evolution says, well, the human body today is worth about $42.18. Now, would you agree with me that the human body is only worth $42.18? Life is cheap. Is that correct? Excuse me? Those of you that have not been to the uh, resource table, I mean, you've got enough money in your pocket right now to buy two or three people. <laughs> hey, think of the advantages, especially, especially the younger ones here. I mean, if you didn't get good grades, you could buy a student that does get good grades and have them take your test for you. <laughs> Come on, think of the advantages here. But please tell me, I don't want a theological philosophical answer. I want a scientific answer. No theology, no philosophy, no religion. Scientifically, is that the correct way to value a human life? No. Well, you say no, but maybe you're just saying that because you know it's the right answer, but you don't maybe know why. But, but let's think about something for a minute. The human body is made out of atoms. I mean, atoms are the basic building block of all matter, Correct. But please tell me, are those atoms in her body, are they just bouncing around on the inside against each other? Excuse me? No, the, the atoms aren't just bouncing around on the inside. Is that right? All those atoms are in little tiny packages. Is that right? Anybody remember the name for those little tiny packages? Well, molecules? Yeah. All those atoms are not just individually just bouncing around on the inside. Is that right? They are those little tiny packages called molecules. And when you leave here today, this is what I want you to remember. You can take all the money in the world and everything that can be converted into money. Did you hear me? You can take all the money in the world and everything that can be converted into money. So you can take all of the dollars, yen, yuan, euros, rubles, pesos. Uh, you can take all the money in the world and everything that can be converted into money. So you can take all the coal, 
oil, natural gas, all the diamonds, emeralds, gold, silver, platinum. You can take all the timber in the world. Everything that is money and everything that can be converted into money. And you can take that money and you can take it and give it to all of the chemical and pharmaceutical companies in the entire world. All of the, come on dear, you have to put your hand out now. Just, there you go. So you can take all that money and you can give it to all of the chemical, all of the pharmaceutical companies in the world. Yeah, there you go. And some people just, you can't give them money. Uh, <laughs> but you can give it to all of the chemical, all the pharmaceutical companies in the world, all the chemicals that, that make molecules and manufacture molecules. And uh, yes, sir, you can have a little too. And <laughs> you cannot buy all the molecules that exist in one human body. Did you hear that? You can take all the money in the world, give it to all the chemical, pharmaceutical companies in the entire world, make and manufacture molecules, and you cannot buy all the molecules that exist in one human body. Please tell me, what is the one word in English that adequately describes an object which all the money in the world cannot buy? Oh, I like that word, priceless. Everybody say that word. Come on, say priceless. No, that wasn't loud enough. Come on. Priceless. Every human body is absolutely priceless. All the money in the world cannot buy all the molecules in one. certainly cannot replace one. Is that correct? Oh. Well, I would like to thank my volunteer very much. Don't forget your absolute priceless. Well, I've just used science. And I've shown, using nothing but science, every human body in the entire world is absolutely priceless. Is that correct? Yes. Now, I wonder if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Specifically, we're going to look at the first part of verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, the first part of verse 10. In your Bible, does it say something like this? For we are his, and then you're going to have workmanship or craftsmanship. Typical English translations, workmanship or craftsmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, is that correct? Ah. So let's think about this. It says we are his craftsmanship or workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So let's think about what does it mean? Well, first of all, who's the he? Who's the he? Oh, God. He's the he, right? Now, the last time we looked, God is like perfect. Hello? So please tell me, when a perfect God, a perfect creator makes an object, then it's going to be perfect. Is that right? What you don't realize when you read Ephesians 2.10 is in the implied Greek it says this, we are his masterpiece. That's what it says in the implied Greek, for we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's think about that word masterpiece for just a moment. What does the word masterpiece mean in English? Isn't it supposed to be the single greatest work of art? of any truly great artist of the 
present or past, right? And would you agree with me? Some artists, particularly of the past, are so good they just make you sick, don't they? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, some, some, some artists of the past are so good they just make you sick. I mean, after all, think about a man like Leonardo. He designed tanks for the military, machines that fly. He painted the Mona Lisa. I've seen it a couple of times. It's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, considered to be one of the truly great masterpieces. Is that correct? But he also left us another masterpiece. He also left us one called The Last Supper. Anybody know where The Last Supper was actually painted? It was not painted on canvas or wood. It was actually the decoration he painted on a wall for a cafeteria. The people who owned it thought so little of it that when they wanted to cut a doorway through the wall, they cut off the feet of Jesus to do it. We wouldn't know what the feet of Jesus looked like in the original painting except one of his students painted a duplicate. Or how about another great, uh, well, artist of the past? How about Michelangelo? He painted the frescoes of the Sistine Chapel ceiling, and then he complained to the Pope who made him do it and said, but I'm not a painter. It's true. Michelangelo was not a painter. He was a sculptor. He left us three great masterpieces. He left us the statue of David, the statue of Moses, and the Pietà, in addition to which he painted the frescoes of the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Some people are so good, they just make you sick, don't they? <laughs> but I have a challenge for you this morning. I would like you for just a moment to think of yourself as if you were a master artist. So just for a moment, we're just pretending, but just for a moment, say to yourself, I am a master artist. Okay, just for a moment. Just, we're just role playing. And I want you to think about something. If you are a master artist and you are going to paint your masterpiece, what would it take for you to do that? Well, think with me for a moment. The first thing it would take is the plan of the master. Is that correct? Come on, folks. No master artist would paint, uh, well, start with a landscape and end up with a portrait, correct? Come on, you've you got a good idea where you're going. You may not have an exact, but you've got a good idea where you're going, right? So, number one, it takes the, the plan of the master. Number two... It takes the skill of the master. Is that correct? Come on, folks. Can a novice paint a masterpiece? No, only a master can paint a masterpiece. Is that correct? And again, I think painting is the easiest way to think about this. So if you were a master artist and you were going to paint your masterpiece, it requires the skill of the master, the plan of the master. And then tell me, if you're going to paint your masterpiece, are you simply going to take the very first canvas that comes along? Or, or are you going to go through 25, uh, maybe 100 canvases until you find the perfect canvas? Oh, come on, folks. If you're going to paint your masterpiece, you're going to find the perfect canvas. Is that right? Yes. And then, of course, you're going to hand select the colors that are going to go on the canvas. You want colors that complement each other, not colors that would conflict. Is that correct? And once you had selected the colors that you're going to put on that canvas, well, then you're going to put the colors on the canvas with your own hand. Is that correct? Yes. How many of you know that you can cover up the signature on a great masterpiece, but you still know who painted it because of something called the brush stroke technique? Yes. Yes. Hello? Yes. 
Yeah, you can actually cover up the signature on a great masterpiece and you still know who painted it because no two master artists put paint on canvas in exactly the same way. Is that correct? And it may seem redundant, but please tell me, once you're finished with the canvas, you will then sign it, correct? And then what do you do next? Well, you select a frame to go around the painting. Is that correct? And you want a, well, you want a frame that certainly complements the picture, that's for sure. But what else does the frame do? The frame sets the limits, is that correct? Come on, folks, the frame sets the limits of the picture, is that correct? Yes. And everything that is inside the frame is picture, but everything outside is not, is that correct? Yes. And that is exactly what God did with you. He selected a canvas that became you. And he selected the color of your skin and your eyes and your hair, and he put them on the canvas with his own hand, and when you were finished, when you were complete, he says, it is done, and he signed it, painted by God. And then he put a frame around you and said, this is you and nobody else. Today there's approximately 8 billion people alive on earth. No two are exactly alike. Now you may question me, you may say, wait a minute, what about identical twins? But identical twins only appear to be identical. They are not. Think with me, we've all seen two boys or two girls at six feet away from us, they looked identical, is that correct? You really couldn't tell them apart until they opened their mouth. <laughs> Hello? Come on, this one's interested in sports, that one in science, this one in history, this one in, in art. I mean, think with me, you can take one set of architectural drawings, build two houses, but they will not be identical. If you go inside after they're completed, you can measure the angles and the distances and so forth, and they are not identical. You can landscape them differently. You can decorate them differently on the inside. Is that correct? I mean, supposedly they're built to the same architect's drawings, but they are still not identical. Is that correct? And no two people are identical twins. As a matter of fact, that's a medical statement. For instance, they have different fingerprints. They have different retina scans. They only appear to be identical on the outside, but they're not really identical even on the outside, and they are most assuredly not identical on the inside either. Is that correct? So I want you to think about something for just a moment. What is the value of a truly great masterpiece? Please, please tell me, for instance, if you had all the money in the world, could you buy the Sistine Chapel ceiling from the Pope? Excuse me? No? Oh, or if you had all the money in the world, could you buy the Mona Lisa from the French? Come on, folks, the answer there is no. If you think you could buy the Mona Lisa from the French, you don't know the French. <laughs> so tell me, what is the value of a truly great masterpiece that all the money in the world cannot buy? Oh, priceless. Again, I'm going to challenge you. Everybody say that word. It's priceless. And that's exactly what God did with you. He selected the canvas, the color of your eyes, skin, hair, completed you, signed, created by God, put a frame around you, said this is you and nobody else, and you are absolutely priceless. And remember, Ephesians 2.10, you are a masterpiece. Is that correct? Now, would you please turn to the person sitting next to you? Hopefully, you don't have to wake them up. 
But please turn to the person sitting next to you, behind you, whatever you can do, and, and say to them, you are a masterpiece. And now, now please turn to them and say, you are priceless. Please tell me, please tell me, just in the number of people that are here this morning, if we all looked at each other as a priceless masterpiece, do you think we would treat each other differently? I think so. And I have a challenge for you. What if we had one church in this county, just one, where every single person in that church looked at each other person as a priceless masterpiece? What would happen in this county? I would suggest to you, you would turn the county upside down, is that correct? Oh. And what if we had churches that each and every one looked at another as a priceless masterpiece but sprinkled across Maryland? I tell you, we would turn Maryland upside down, hello? And never think small with God. What if you had churches like that sprinkled across the United States? I tell you, we would turn this nation upside down. And we would fulfill the prophecy of a secular prophet, a founding father named John Adams, who said the founding of the United States was for the purpose of taking the gospel to the world. And I challenge you, I challenge you, even today, when you see somebody driving by, and you've never seen them before in your life, you may never see them again this side of heaven, but when they're driving by, do you say, oh, look, there goes a priceless masterpiece. When you go to the shopping mall the next time, how about walking up to somebody and say, did you know you're a priceless masterpiece? And, and, and they go, huh? <laughs> I, I said you're a priceless masterpiece, and they go, what? <laughs> and then you just hook, hook an arm around their elbow and say, well, come on down to McDonald's. I'll buy you a cup of coffee and explain it to you. Oh, come on. They may not have good hamburgers, but they got good coffee. And coffee evangelism is really good evangelism. Hello? But do you see the difference of when you start looking at every person you meet as a priceless masterpiece, you can change the world. Hello? And don't forget, you are a miracle.